kids behind the bus time. From the NHRL studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Box, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the box. I'm Kyle. And I'm Luke. And today on the podcast, we interview Pete Abramson, a.k.a. the Bot Whisperer. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. And follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots. And tell your friends, we really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have three news items for you today. First up, catch live robot combat this weekend in New Jersey, Florida, Oregon, and Australia. In New Jersey, the Garden State Combat Robotics League will be fighting antweights and beetleweights this Saturday at Fubar Labs in North Brunswick Township. The Beatles will be incredibly competitive with NHRL veterans Evan Arias, Alex Pezza, Lars Elliott, James Gefter, Jamie Shalcross, Adam Kennard, and Jaden Shuba facing one another in a fight to the death. In Florida, Robot Renegades will be running a two-day competition this Saturday and Sunday at the South Florida Fair in West Palm Beach with fairyweights, antweights, beetleweights, and 12-pounders. In Oregon, Oregon State Combat Robotics is running Winter Wars 23 in Corvallis with fairyweights and antweights. And in Australia, Robo Wars is making its triumphant return after a nearly four-year hiatus with more than two dozen Sportsman 30-pounders battling it out for the 2023 Robo Wars Sportsman Cup. Check out details about all of these events and more at robotcombatevents.com. On over to Canada, where the toy giant Spin Master has announced it is acquiring Hexbug, makers of the very popular line of BattleBots toys. The acquisition is expected to close in February, and terms of the deal were not immediately released. Hexbug launched in 2007 as a line of remote control toys for kids. Its original parent company, Innovation First International, is still searching for a new CEO. After former CEO Tony Norman stepped down late last year, amid allegations that he created a toxic work environment where sexual harassment was common. And finally, BattleBots could be moving up filming of BattleBots 8 to this summer due to scheduling conflicts with the F1 racing series. That's according to BattleBots co-creator Greg Munson, who appeared this week on the Outside the Box podcast. Munson said the show could film as early as July or August to give F1 the freedom to run a massive race in Las Vegas in mid-November. F1's track runs past the BattleBots venue, and Munson said track construction nearby would interfere with BattleBots filming in the fall. And that's it for this week's news. Now, Kyle, uh, I want to pause here. Before we get into our interview with Pete, which is an incredible interview, I love Pete so much. Um, uh, you said before we started recording, and I totally agree with you, that uh, I feel like we could, re- we could uh, interview Pete every single week and uh, never run out of content. Like, he is just an absolute delight. I do want to pause, take a look back at episode one of BattleBots 7. Um, now, we saw the captain get shredderated. We saw chaotic pizza energy from Ripperoni, late hits from Riptide, free shipping, getting a weapon, and justice for Minotaur. Uh, I want to pause here. Get your thoughts on episode one. What did you like about the uh, the, the, the new season? I, um, I loved everything about this episode. I, I do think that the fights uh, were predictable as far as like, who won and who lost. Um, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing this early in the season. If anything, it's showing that everybody's process is getting kind of dialed in. 
the one big surprise to that, I think, was Minotaur versus Tantrum. Um, but I don't think anybody really knew that Tantrum was getting a complete rebuild this year, which they explained in the show. Um, everything was different on that robot. They had to deal with all the new robot jitters, new weapon, new everything. So it makes sense that they, you know, if you're thrown in against Minotaur in your first round and, and you're dealing with a lot of new stuff, yeah, you're going to struggle there. I mean, that makes clear and perfect sense. But yes, justice for Minotaur. They absolutely deserved that win. They did a phenomenal job. Um, free shipping with a weapon. I, I kind of liked it. I was skeptical. I was very skeptical, but he drove it like he didn't have the weapon and he drove it like a wedge bot and it was phenomenal and he did really well. And, um, yeah, I thought it was really cool. Also, my son being a huge fan of Beyblades right now, big fan of, of uh, watching Gigabyte spin around on its top like that. We both were laughing really hard about it. Um, we said that free shipping let it rip, and it was great. Um, and then I got to tell you, my favorite fight of the night was Gruff versus Ripperoni. Me too. Watching Ripperoni dance all over the place. It, I think it's so interesting. Like, people don't understand the technology and we talk about this in the interview with Pete, that has gone into Ripperoni and how unique it is and how different it is. During the show, they just kept comparing it to... Um, uppercut. Yeah. Uppercut. You know, this is the new Uppercut. Uppercut uppercut part two. Uppercut with pizza. You know, like, the, it is such a innovative and interesting design. The principles that they're putting into it is fascinating. Um, it, I think that people, you know, while this fight was super duper entertaining, it didn't really tell the story of what a fascinating competitor this is. Um, and we are obviously going to get to see that in their next three fights in the qualifier rounds. I, I am super excited to see where they go, but what a great first impression, literally breakdancing around the box <laughs> on their first fight. Yeah. Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Also, huge, scary, 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 mm. huge. Whoa. Yeah. Have you ever seen anybody tear Shatter apart that much? Um, just, they look beefy. They look scary. They look like they've been to the gym <laughs> the entire off season. Yeah. Like they, they look great. I absolutely loved it. Um, and you know what I mean? The, the other thing that my son really enjoyed, he could not stop laughing about it was quantum turning captain shredderator into a cheeseburger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. I mean, like you, you want to see that from the Krakens and the quantums of the world, right? You want to see them yep. grab their little cheeseburger shaped opponents and uh, just crunch through the top. I mean, that is what you want from those robots. Um, yep. You know, for me, like, um, so I was there at BattleBots filming in the pits for um, episode one. It's so funny because it's like, you know, was, this is just like one half of a single day worth of filming you know yeah like these fights happen so quickly it's like back to back there's maybe 20 minutes of load in load out time between the fights but like the fights are just just solid right and i i honestly didn't get to see many fights at all i was like so heads down like running to the leather store and i don't know walking evan's dog and doing other kind of just stuff right but i did see ripperonis like walk in and um it was the first time in like probably four days that I laughed out loud. It was just like seeing uh, Fred's outfit and um, he's just he like you get to see the full walk in like from the pits because uh, you're just watching the actual production monitor. And um, he's he's just hamming it up just like just like, uh, hey, that's a spicy meatball, you know, like really just, you know, coming in like with huge like 
chef energy. It was great. Uh, and then, yeah, I think to see like the just the totally chaotic energy of that robot, really, really cool. Um, you know, like for me, I, I came away from that that fight thinking like every single robot should have a counterfly wheel. Like that is brilliant. I can't believe that, you know, you know, half of the field doesn't have this, you know, like because gyro is such a big problem um, with with so many other robots. I mean, can you imagine like Minotaur with the counterfly wheel, you know, or like, um, I don't know, like uh, you can you, now you can spin your weapon super, super fast. And, um, you know, you don't have to run it at 50 percent power or something. Um, so, yeah, like I, I totally loved it. Um, yeah, I, I did have one question for you, a kind of a philosophical question. Sure. You know, like Gary, Gary Jinn has a weapon now and Al Kindle now has a weapon with blacksmith, you know, like, uh, Kraken's got a weapon now, you know, like, yep. are, are we, yeah, a spinner specifically a spinner. Is, weapon, is, right. is this the death of the control bot? You know, like is, is season seven, the death of the control bot? Does every single control bot now need to put a spinner on it? Um, so like in this episode alone, we saw gruff, uh, we saw quantum both win their fights. And I, you know, think back to, uh, last season, when you saw Whiplash just ditch their spinner entirely, they didn't use it the entire um, the entire run. Made it to what the final four? I mean, it's obvious that control bots still have a place, especially flipper bots still have a place. Blip did phenomenally. Um, they just throw things. Uh, it, it's it's never going away, but it is. This is a spicy take, and I apologize. Putting a spinner on it is kind of like putting it on easy mode. Okay. And, you know, if you're putting in thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours of your time, yeah, I get putting it on easy mode. You know what I mean? Like, it's it makes sense. Um, Kraken, the way that their bot's built, the way that their crusher works, they just weren't getting it they weren't getting the the points they needed um and maybe that's because they just weren't getting the crushes that you get with something you know uh get with quantum you know like they quantum can show a lot of damage when they stab into the top of blacksmith and literally can't get out or you turn captain shredder into a cheeseburger um kraken we never saw that and maybe they needed the spinner to you know cost effectively gain those points hmm. Hmm. Um, Spicy take, I know, because, you know, you never want to say that anybody's gone easy mode. Obviously, the teams with spinners are working very hard and doing a lot of innovation and design and all of the things that we love about the sport. But it's a heck of a lot easier to get those points with the spinner. I think I think we lose something when, when we kind of lose design um, diversity. Um, yeah, because we like the rule set is basically set up to be like, oh, if you want to advance through this tournament, uh, you need to show huge damage. We need to show uh, people exploding every single fight, make it bigger, make it faster, spin it harder, you know, like um, take your weight, put it into a spinner. Gary Jin, I don't know, like that kind of makes me a little sad. Uh, I don't think that Gary Jin put that much more weight into their spinner than they did into their lifter. It's not a very big spinner. Sure. Um, it's it's really not. And it did just give them that little bit more oomph when they were driving full speed into people. They didn't want to be seen as a wedge bot, so I don't feel like they were as wedgy as they could have been before they got this. Now it looks like you're being aggressive with the spinner when they're slamming people into walls, which is what Gary Jin 
does when he drives. I mean, that's that's his modus operandi. Um, so that that's my thought process as far as that goes. Is there a builder currently today where if you saw them get like go and adopt a spinner that you you would say okay, officially control bots are dead at BattleBots. You know, like is there a single lone holdout? who is keep like holding it down for the non-spinner nation, you know, because I, <laughs> I, I have a name in my mind and I'll, I'm wondering if it's the same name in your mind, Kyle. Yeah. I mean, obviously it is the high priest of control bots. Um, Charles Guan, if he, yes! throws, if he throws yes! a spinner on there, then, then it's yeah. over. It's done. Yeah. Um, Kyle, that's exactly who I was going to say. Yeah. He's the high priest of, you know, spinners are evil. That's, that's literally his whole thing. Um, but okay. So like, let's talk about season six, uh, with like, cause I am fascinated by this season six with whiplash. They got to what the final four. Am I right on that? Yes. Um, they final fought. four. Yes, that's correct. They, they fought end game. Did they not? Yes. Do you think they would have won if they put a spinner on it? Like won the whole thing? Hmm. You know what I mean? Like with those long forks. But I mean, they were facing off against Endgame's super balanced weapon, you know? They were. Yes, absolutely. But that's what I'm saying. Like, they they went the entire season last year with, without ever putting that spinner on. They did as well, if like almost as well as they've ever done in the tournament. <laughs> you know, like they, they didn't get runner up, but they got close to it. Um. The year that they did get runner up, they had that spinner on it the whole time. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember that fight. Like in my head, Canon, and listen, I haven't thought about that fight in now like a full year, but Kyle, keep me honest here. If I remember correctly, Endgame drove out to the center of the arena and they just stayed in one spot and just pivoted in place, trying to stay squared up to the front of Whiplash. Is that right? Don't tell anybody, but that's all Endgame does. <laughs> <laughs> That's their whole thing. That's that's yeah. their strategy. Um, that's that's their. That's stick. easy mode, Kyle. That's easy mode. It is easy mode. It is Ugh. easy mode. I know. I know. I feel. I, it feels gross to say it, but it is. It's easy mode. Yeah. Totally easy mode. Yeah. Um. No, I, I. I think Whiplash was robbed in that. You know, like you got it clearly a that superior was, driver. But that was. Yes, but that you was know, Whiplash. I, that was. We're we're getting a little conflated here because that was the 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 finale for season five. Okay. Season six, which was last year, which is when they never used that spinner. They fought Bloodsport. Mm. They fought Scorpios. They fought Ice Wave. They fought Cobalt. Yeah. And they, like, they crushed it. They did phenomenally well in that entire tournament. They did phenomenally well in that entire tournament. Um, and they never busted out that spinner. Do you think they would have won last year if they'd busted out the spinner? I, I I don't know if the spinner actually affects the outcome of their matches because their main weapon is Matt's driving skill. Yeah. Like he is an incredible driver and that robot drives incredibly well. Yep. I don't I don't I don't think if he had a spinner it would actually change the outcome of too many of their matches. Yeah. Um so the weapon the weapon on on them is the is Matt Vasquez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In a lot yeah. of ways, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It kind of sucks that like Whiplash doesn't have a giant nut sitting in their garage because I feel like in many ways, like 
<laughs> they are superior to so many other like super powerful just spinners sure. in the competition. Um, yeah. So yeah, that feels yeah. a little a little gross. I don't know. Um, but yeah, this is what I'm saying. Like I feel like BattleBots will lose something if Whiplash never makes the top four ever again. You know, if it's just spinner versus spinner. So. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna make top four. If not this year, next year. You know what I mean? They're always gonna make top four. Yeah. Um. Th- but they do lose two big, big, fat, powerful spinners. That's who beats them every time. So you might be right about that. Um. All right. Uh. Any other thoughts about episode one? You know, we've got episode two coming up this week. Pretty stoked about episode two. Um. You know. Uh. Thoughts. Thoughts on like just the opening of the season in general. Yeah. Yeah, only thought that is, um, and I I know we kind of addressed this a little bit last season. Uh, the format, the look of the show, the the content provided between fights, all of that is starting to feel um, a little bit too. And I know this is because I'm a super fan and I watch every episode and all the content ever. Uh, but especially after you know Sin City Slugfest and then the coming right into this episode, it it all looks the same same. Mm. Uh, there needs to be some updates, some improvements, some switch ups on that stuff. Um, not saying what what there doesn't work. I'm just saying it's starting to feel as a person who watches the show all the time, kind of tired, a little old. They produce the show for the mouth breathers, Kyle. All right. I know you. You always for that. every one of you and me. There are 10,000 mouth breathers out there who are like out there buying GM trucks and like taking a look at like, I don't know, the uh, Lincoln Electric. I don't know. You know, like what, what, whatever, whatever products they're selling. You know what I mean? Uh, they go to different kinds of boats for the deadliest catch all the time. <laughs> they go to different places in Alaska, you know, like just change up the look a little bit. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, like uh, in general, of course, like uh, it's the same thing I've always said. I want more depth in the show. Like the show is a yep. little shallow for the super fans, but it's not made for the super fans. There's only 10,000 super fans, Kyle, you know? Um, right. So right. Yeah. there's a million people watching the show. 10,000 of them actually dive. Into this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, uh, I agree with you. It's like there's $4 million worth of the most incredible custom made and machined engineering in that tent. And we are still doing freaking laser eyes, okay? And like it, the the depth of the content <laughs> is this this deep, you know? It's like uh, it's anyway. Um, to be fair, Zach and Diana do look cool with laser eyes. I'm just saying. yeah, no, that's true. That's true. All right. Um, okay, listen, we're we're gonna get into predictions um, now. Yep. So uh, last week we opened up a prediction thread on Facebook. Uh, there were 60 people who sent us in predictions and only one managed to call all seven fights correctly. That person is Matthew Cahoy. Welcome. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess, uh, congratulations, Matthew. Uh, good job. Uh, we're going to put up another prediction thread this week. So, uh, watch for it, um, on Facebook and let's see if Matthew can go for, uh, for two, two in a row. Um, now Kyle, uh, Chris and Lindsay and I, we uh, we attended the filming, so we're not going to be participating in predictions. But uh, you didn't. You have no idea what happens. Yep. Um, to be fair, Correct. Chris and Lindsay and I, we also have no idea what happens because we were just kind of like uh, staring at robots in the pits all day. But um, but you know, just to be fair, um, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read you the, uh, the the seven fights for this week, and I would love to get your thoughts and predictions. Go as deep or as shallow as you'd like to for these. Um, starting with our first fight of the night. Hypershock versus Sawblades. Kyle, your prediction. Oh, uh, um, 
Sawblaze. That's a hard one to call, though, but Sawblaze. Uh, next up, we've got a battle between two Midwestern bots, Fusion versus Emulsifier. Emulsifier uh, making their BattleBots debut after having fought at Motorama and NHRL. Fusion, of course, uh, built by the Wyachis. Your thoughts on this fight? Emulsifier and uh, everyone uh, who watches this insane, explodey slugfest of awesomeness. These are two extremely hard-hitting bots that... Um, you know, one of them has a habit of bursting into flames all the time. So it's going to be fun. I'm really excited about that fight. Right. On on uh, on to a battle between two East Coast bots, Mammoth versus Valkyrie. Your thoughts, Kyle? Well, this is so hard to predict because it all has to do with the box rush in so many ways. If Valkyrie gets up to speed, they're going to rip Mammoth's frame to pieces. Horizontals and Mammoth do not get along super well. Um, but man... What a tempting shape for Mammoth to just start chucking around the box. I'm going to have to give it to Valkyrie, um, but that's a tough one to call. Okay. Uh, now uh, on to a battle between two Southern California bots, Mad Catter versus Whiplash. <laughs> um, wow. <sighs> yeah, it's going to be Whiplash. Whiplash, okay. Nice. Yep. Um, all right, we've got a, another rookie bot in Banshee, the Flipper Banshee, versus the very much new and improved Switchback. Kyle, your thoughts? I love both of these bots. This one's impossible to call. I'm going to go with Switchback just because they do. They, it's a bot that had their first season, and now they're coming back in the second season, and they've changed some things. And, and I don't feel like that's the kind of team that's going to like you know, do that that sophomore thing where they change too much stuff. I feel like that's the kind of team that's going to change just the right amount of stuff. Um, so I'm going to have to give the switch back. Just two more left here. Uh, hijinks versus the big deal. Your thoughts, go? Oh, uh, it's got to be the big deal. Oh. It's got to be the big deal. I mean, I love hijinks. They're super great. Uh, but if we're talking about a battle of spin-up time and wedginess, uh, it's going to be the, the wedginess in this one. And now finally, our main event of the night, Blip versus Endgame. Kyle, your thoughts here. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'm going to give it to Blip. Okay. Um, but I'm also going to fully admit that's because I want Blip to win. Um, and there's there's not a lot of empirical evidence behind that decision. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the, the team behind Endgame is phenomenal. They, they're just top-notch guys who do really great work, and they could win literally any fight they get into, so betting against them is a terrible idea and i'm going to do it good all right uh kyle's kyle's just uh, share with us his predictions if you think you're smarter than kyle <laughs> go to our facebook page send us your predictions and we'll see uh, who comes out on top uh, uh next week it's not hard <laughs> it's not hard to be smarter than a kyle just give it a shot see if you can all right uh, after the break our interview with pete This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Pete Abramson, a.k.a. the Bot Whisperer. Pete has been involved in robot combat since the very beginning and competed on the original run of BattleBots with Ronin. Since the reboot, Pete has worked behind the scenes at BattleBots where he sits on the selection committee and is the robot expert on staff, feeding Chris and Kenny the robot information they need for their play-by-play -play commentary and analysis Pete is joining us after two big events, the season premiere of BattleBots 7 
and the NHRL World Championships, where he joined us on the broadcast desk to call fights. Uh, we love Pete. We can't wait to hang out with him. It's probably going to be about a seven-hour interview, so maybe we'll release this in a few different parts. Uh, but <laughs> welcome back to the show, our good friend Pete. How you doing? I am doing great. Thank you guys for having me again. I love being on your show. This is always so much fun. Because obviously we go way long because we're just friends chatting about robots. And that's the kind of interviews <laughs> I like doing. And they're the best kinds of friends that you can have. Robot friends. Exactly. Real people, re real people, robot friends, not robot friends. Oh, I like robot friends because, you know, they're robots. You guys aren't <laughs> robots? Are you lizard people then? Uh, the jury, the jury is out on whether Kyle is actually a robot. We don't know. <laughs> now, well, now, Pete, along, he must be a robot. <laughs> now, now, Pete, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, you've had time to come back from Connecticut. You've seen NHRL. You've had a chance to digest. Can I? Uh, can we? Can, can we tap you to get some of um, your initial thoughts on the league? Uh, now that you've had that time to reflect on your experience, I. Thoroughly enjoyed myself. Thank you guys for welcoming me into the family of NHRL and able to be there and join you guys up on the broadcast stage. Um, I was blown away by the level of the production. It was so pro. It was just handled beautifully, I felt. Uh, I really loved the layout of the inside of the building and how sort of where the arenas were versus where the museum and how the museum was right there at the entrance, as well as the gift shop and then the bar and as well as sort of the shop shop for being able to fix your robots. Uh, it was an impressive place. Like it was really fun to be in there. And it was so clear that to anybody that would watch that threes and twelves and thirties are nothing to sneeze at. They are amazing bots unto themselves on that scale. I, I'd still love to see a small fleet of three pounders take on a, a full sized heavyweight at battle bots. If we can ever, <laughs> if we can ever coordinate, uh, you know, 60 builders to just go ahead and, uh, and fire up three pounders. That'd be pretty cool. There you go. As long as they're all melty brains, that's what I want to see. It'd be, oh, it'd be like one of those like sky dances with like the, you know, um, the fireworks displays made with drones, but but melty brains. Yes, exactly. Oh, man. Melty just brains. hearing that many melty brains fire up makes my teeth hurt. <laughs> you think the dentist is coming to drill so many spitters. I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Pete. Like, there, you know, there there's so much thought and effort that went into a lot of the different experiences within the NHRL. Uh, you know, uh, within that ecosystem that they've built there from the, the you know, the, the, the shop and the, Hey, they have a, their own NHRL beer, which was actually really good by the way. Um, uh, but here's the thing. Uh, so we're, we're here we're, we got this one location. We we're we're working out the details of what it takes to make a good tournament and build some kind of, uh, you know, entertainment platform out of it. Where would you like to see NHRL go in the future? I would love to see it spread across to more cities across the United States. I would love to see a West Coast, a middle, um, maybe something in the South, like Atlanta 
or, uh, you know, whether it's the Bay Area or down here in Southern California, um, maybe like Denver might be a good sort of mid-range place or, or maybe it's Chicago. Like I would love to see. Also, the thing that made NHRL so great. I mean, yes, I was there just for a championship, but knowing that it happens all year long and that people can try out and be newbies and show up with a brand new bot and work their way through the process. And it's such a great learning platform. And it just sort of is so welcoming that we can see so many more schools across the United States feed into doing NHRL. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. You know, there's already this, and a, a lot of this is owed to, to battle bots, these, these regional collectives uh, that, that seem to have, you know, a heavyweight teams at the helm, but then they all, you know, all of these different regions, whether it's the Florida bot mafia or the, you know, the, or the Northern California Bay area, you know, collective there, it's, you know, you have these 250 pound builders, but then there's like these pop-up events that kind of, you know, centralize a community. And I think that NHRL could probably really feed into that and provide that same level of, uh, of 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 competition and and entertainment value for the people that also just want to go and watch, uh, but you know tap these regions because they're they've they've shown that there is a a community there that can sustain it. Totally. I mean, it was it, the fact that you guys sold thirteen hundred tickets, <laughs> you know, for that building, you know, and all those people that came to to be there and just sort of be a part of it was amazing. It was. I I can't wait to come back. That's all I have to say. Pete, I was pretty sure that we I just, want to come back. I was pretty sure that you and I uh, just had thirteen hundred people on our VIP tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we did. <laughs> I, was, I didn't know where the tour started and where it ended. Like you, we needed flags and somebody to chase up from behind. And go, this is the end of the line. This is the last person because there were so many people in that tour wandering around showing off the museum was that was intense. I I mean, the only thing I know is that someone from the ops team handed me a tranquilizer gun, just said, Hey, there's a kid's birthday here too. Like just, <laughs> just look out. <laughs> and that was it. Be careful. <laughs> they bite. And then I, I just blacked out for an hour. And the next thing I know, I woke up in the pits. <laughs> All right. I got a question here uh, from mammoth team member, Brandon Bennett young, who runs phenomenon and other bots at NHRL. And Brandon writes, uh, hey, Peter, glad to see you come visit NHRL. I hope to see you back again soon sometime. And his first question is, the first episode of BattleBots was great, but I was uh, pleasantly surprised by how nice the episode of Nastiest Knockouts was, specifically uh, because of how fun it was engaging with the builders. Definitely glad to see more content like that. I guess that wasn't a question, another compliment. (laughs) It was a good compliment. Yeah, you should... I mean, I was really happy with that, too. The fact that all the builders sort of told the stories of what to them was the most important knockouts and what mattered during the fight. I mean, the fact that Jameson said, I've not seen this fight since it happened, but I can remember every step of it. And you could see him close his eyes and sort of walk through the fight and how it happened which was, it was great to sort of see everybody's response to what was going on with themselves or how they felt in the pits while they got to see somebody else's fight turn into 
a giant ball of fire or, you know, be a split spinning shell going in two different directions. You know, it was just an amazing way to put that together. Lindsay and I, like we had, we had no idea what it was going to be like having been at BattleBots and then sitting through the first episode, but it was like, do I have selective amnesia? I don't remember any of this happening. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I, I barely remember any of the fights. I have to sort of see them and go, oh yeah, that's right. Because I see so many fights that I forget what happened when and who did what. Unless it was super dramatic, you know, Ghost Raptor split in half kind of thing. That I actually like, oh yeah, I can remember and recall that. Otherwise, it just turns to mush for me until I start to see the footage that I'm like, oh right, they fought that one and they did that. Yes, now I remember. So Brandon pulls uh, with his next question uh, us back to NHRL and he wants to know, and I I could almost put this question in italics, but what bots impressed you the most at NHRL? (laughs) Hmm. Uh, Let's see. Project Liftoff. Yeah, I would say Project Liftoff. That was to me my high point. I was so blown away by a true functioning melty brain. I mean, not that, uh, oh my God, the ring, the ring was beautiful. What, was its name um the greatest challenge greatest challenge uh the other melty brain but i it just to see them working as well as they were working and directable and it it's shown we've come a long way since 20 years ago when i think uh what was it Ilya did the first one with blade runner or something like that um and it i i just don't think we had the technology or the code it to be able to do it at that time and now to see it functioning in a three pounder or 12 pounder. Like it was just great. Yeah. I, I loved, and Kyle, uh, shout out to you. I love that, that one package that you and, and trail put together, um, to kind of see what is happening under the hood of this melty brain. And it is incredible science. It's really, really cool stuff that's happening there. I was going to say, Pete, you really came at like, peak melty brain tournament the two best melty brains at nhrl working the best they have ever worked literally you were there the day of it and and that was phenomenal (laughs) and in the tournament in the championship part of the tournament too you know like yeah and by the way project liftoff has already like won an entire tournament um this wasn't their best showing you know what i mean this was just their best performance as a melty brain it was uh they did so beautifully i was so proud of them we need to, I, I've had many conversations with them and hopefully they will, uh, they will think about a melty brain for BattleBots because I would love to see it. I couldn't even imagine I, it. I am pushing for it. Whether or not I can get the rest of the committee to go with it, we'll see. But I'm pushing hard for that new technology. Be so awesome. Um, so uh, Brandon's next question. What are some pros and cons you've seen with the house bots at NHRL? So this is like fluffy Bert, um, you know. Yeah. Um, Pros. I loved the fact that they would get a bot back into the action by when it's cocked up on an edge and it's not making wheel contact and they would just come in and push it off the wall and get it back into the, into the middle. Um, and then I also appreciated the fact that I guess you get one of those for free. And you after that, if you get stuck, you're, you're toast. Uh, but they did also, if something got behind them, 
They were kind of just a big giant wall in the way of combat happening. But I think they did their job beautifully. I liked them being there. I loved the fact that there was a camera on them too. You know, I mean, like there was a bunch of great elements to what made those things work pretty well. I like that they're there. I think they actually really help keep a small fight going. Yeah. There's also the, um, yeah, the occasional scenario where they flatten another bot, like they were a drunk, uh, dump truck driver. <laughs> Squish it. Yeah. That, I think, I think fluffy weighs in at like 300 pounds or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> So if uh, if you flick that uh, that toggle just a little bit too uh, too too fast, uh, the next thing you know, you're picking up uh, you're picking up um, you know parts of your bot uh, printed plastic yeah. parts. Yeah, uh, who was able to actually turn it off? Somebody turned off. So the that, robot. that was yep. One that was Ram Plan. Um, uh, the iconic Brendan Steele. Business cat. Business cat. Um, and the, uh, yeah. the most dangerous articulating arm in combat robotics. Definitely. He might also have the most dangerous articulating arms on a human being. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you never know. Last question here from, from Brandon. If you were to think of a cool meta change to the rules, the arena or anything, et cetera, to try at a smaller event, what would you want to try? Um. So going back a few years when we were doing Zazbots, one of the things that I really loved about our arena was it was in the middle of a larger box with a couple of openings that you could push one of your opponents out of. And I liked that. And it was, you know, it was about six inches up. So if it fell, like there was no chance it was getting back into the arena unless it was Donald with some legs and crawling itself up but uh it uh it was i i loved that sort of that aspect of giving at least sort of a wedge or a pushy bot a way to score some points or a control bot could take them and drop them out so whether it's a pit or whether it's sort of a couple of open gate areas that you can then push the other bot out of and have a have a ko on your thing instead of just judges decisions was a I thought it was a cool thing and I'd love to see something like that of course you know fire fire would be great fire's always great shark tank shark tank oh no that would just uh you just robot sharks okay robot sharks with lasers I will give you that robot sharks with lasers <laughs> I just don't want to pollute the tank with a bunch of lipo and nastiness that would go into uh the poor shark tank you know, but, but if we had robot sharks okay. with lasers, that would work for me. I have a question here. Or a few questions here from Alex Peck from Northeastern University's combat robotics team. Go Huskies. <laughs> and Alex wants to know, as someone who has been in the, the booth of BattleBots and NHRL, what unique and cool aspects of each event stood out? Hmm. I mean, production wise, it's very similar. The way a control room works you know, calling shots and edits and switching back and forth. Um, you know, NHRL has so many more fights to get through in a day. And there was a pace that was going on. It was much quicker than we're trying to sort of capture 
a whole bunch of story in between each fight as new bots are loading in and rolling in to tell those for um, television. So BattleBots kind of has this more story aspect where NHRL has, we are, we are just loading in. We have a, we are a sport and this is the way we got to keep moving through this process. Boom, boom, boom. And if there was a lag, that's where you guys got to come in and be the jokesters that you are and fill, fill the gaps. Yeah. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, once, once the bags start forming under our eyes, uh, strange things definitely start to happen. I would love to see uh, Chris or Kenny wearing a bread helmet, uh, or you know, just randomly surrounded by rubber duckies. That would be that would be pretty cool. They've definitely had a few props here and there that builders have brought them, and you know, they'll wear a pair of glasses or put on something or hold a piece. But yeah, it's never been too many big jokes. I think uh, you know Jason used to have the banana that was usually next to his his station but there isn't always that kind of thing with chris and kenny you don't have the a whole bunch of jokes like too many ducks yeah they don't they don't find those types of jokes as appealing (laughs) no that was my banana plus you guys had the perfect like that was such a long gap between fights that to every time the camera cut back to have another duck on the table just kept building and building and building. It was it was a good moment. It worked. I I I I wanted to. It was already kind of late, and when it gets that late, things can get a little dangerous. But I really wanted to grab uh, a few strong folks from production to say, "Let's just lift the two hundred and fifty pound duck bot from the museum <laughs> and put it behind them, <laughs> like in between shots." So now it's forty rubber that duckies been funny. and a two hundred fifty pound duck and a real duck. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but that's how people die. Um, it, uh, it's probably weighs two hundred pounds because there's probably no batteries in it. There's no electronics. Probably no motors. Uh, it's just probably sharp. Gloves. You'll need gloves. Alex, uh, Alex's second question kind of ties uh, back to that first one. So, you know, his first question was about, you know, you're being at the booth of BattleBots and NHRL. What what are the unique aspects of each? But um, Alex's next question is, should they stay unique or uh, should um, uh, one be applied to the other? Uh, I think it's good that they're kind of unique in their way. Uh, I think that, you know, I like the separation of styles you know we want we don't need to see every single robot combat come through a cookie cutter kind of thing we should see events have their own feel to them uh if they are regionals and moving forward sure there needs to be tie-ins of rules and design regulations so that at least certain things are transferable but i would rather the unique styles stay that way and NHRL be who they are and BattleBots be who they are. Robo games be themselves, you know, like whatever, whichever event it is should have its own distinct feel. Like one of the things that I loved at NHRL that, you know, cause I always talk about evolution in robots and evolution in robot combat. And one of the things that stifles that to me is the flat steel floor and we see magnets going on in BattleBots, but you guys have a wood floor, so we see these cleats 
Like, I just love that adaptation that's happening by having the cleats. Like, what an exciting thing for people to come up with a way. How do I solve traction on a wood painted floor? I heard in Calgary, they play on three inches of maple syrup. (laughs) Wild. (laughs) Frozen maple syrup. So you've got to get your wheels spinning fast enough that you're actually heating up the syrup so that you unfreeze it slightly. And that's what gives you a little bit more traction. Isn't that how curling works? Yeah. Isn't that how what? It's curling. Yeah. (laughs) I just just use bacon trends. Uh, just so our audience knows, we went out to dinner with Pete, uh, the night before the event and then spent a lot of time with him kind of on our off time at the event. And, uh, this happens pretty much anytime you bring up an absurd scenario or joke to Pete, he will agree that the joke is funny and then immediately try to figure out how to actually accomplish it in real life. What, what technical aspects need to be applied. That's what makes the joke even deeper. I like that. The combination of being a yes and and a technical savant. That yeah. just, it's brilliant. Brilliant. All right. So, Pete, we're going to move on to uh, a series of questions about the original run of BattleBots, Comedy Central era. Um, so I think that everybody knows that you, Pete, are a uh, elder botsman, elder botsmith, if you will. You've been in this sport since its inception. Um, what year did you first see a robot fight? 1994. Fort Mason, Robot Wars, the very first Robot Wars. I was... Uh, Mark Satrakian had built the master, and I came to be on his pit crew for that. <laughs> wow. And then after that, I built my own robot for the next year. Which is what you would do, obviously. Um, So obviously, then obviously, you know, all of the robot wars, drama, drama, funness happened. Um, We get into the BattleBot side of life. So we have a lot of fans with some questions about kind of the original run of BattleBots. And um, we picked out a few of them that I think you would like. What throwback BattleBot? And this is especially pertinent considering what we've recently learned about the lineup for the live show. Um, what throwback BattleBot would you think would be a contender in the current seasons of BattleBots? Obviously with like an armor upgrade. <laughs> but uh, what do you think would work like design wise? Um, let's see. Uh, Mechavore, who was one of the sort of first big giant undercutters, was a pretty mean yep. undercutter. Uh, you know, if they stepped that up, they could easily be, you know, fighting on this level. Um, Vlad, if it had some kind of active weapon, I mean, we've obviously seen that bots like um, Claw Viper with speed is a really powerful thing to be able to use, uh, they, which they used very effectively last season to their advantage. So we could definitely see it um, like Vlad pulling something like that, but just needing something more than just a stick out the front of the robot, probably. But uh, who else would be, you know, going back like Toro and T minus, which eventually became Bronco. But uh, that was, those were great, amazing flipper lifters, you know, T minus being a middleweight flipper was so, powerful and dominant and fun 
Um, I think uh, Christian's Dreadnought might be viable. Uh, that was a big two-wheel wedge on one side, giant vertical discs on the other side. Uh, he did some of the early work of some of the big vertical discs uh, designs, I think, with uh, Minion, originally with saws, and then eventually making uh, a disc out of a sort of a sandwich of aluminum and, and hardened steel pieces. So it was kind of a, it was a pretty cool concept. Um, great name too, Dreadnought. Gotta love that. Dreadnought, wasn't it? It was awesome. Yeah, that's a pretty sweet name. That's uh, all right. So next question comes from Matthew Cahoy. It's a similar question. What team or individual who hasn't competed in the modern era? And we have seen a lot of people from the original run of BattleBots come back, compete, do very, very well. Um, but which, like, who of the original kind of crew, the original era of BattleBots, would you love to see come back and compete that hasn't yet? Um, Jonathan Ritter of Ziggo. He was pretty yep. potent. Uh, you know who I'd love to see back in the sport is Dan Danknick. Dan would be great. Dan ha was with uh, Tony with Hazard. And I mean, Dan had a whole bunch of robots of his own, uh, but Dan was Team Delta and had lots of, he was one of the earlier pioneers of making robot part, custom robot parts like BECs and, and little controllers and things that was pretty impressive, good electronics. What about, I mean, I always think about Gage, Gage um, from Vlad from the team Vladmeisters, I believe was the name of the team. Well, I mean, Gage obviously goes back to Law Machine, but um, Gage, I don't know how he would mentally be in the new BattleBots. Like he, he wasn't. Gage was a definitely a competitor, mm -hmm. but he wasn't a performer. Ah. He was there to just kill the other robot and get the like, out of the arena, repair my bot, <laughs> get back in, and destroy another robot. Like that's. <laughs> he didn't have, he wasn't interested in the song and dance. He wasn't interested in being Will Bales from Hypershock and, you know, being big and like, that's not Gage. So I don't know how Gage would do on. Are you saying he wouldn't put on the fake, the fake mustache and the Italian chef's hat and run out there and dance no. around with a big pepper grinder? No. Okay. That's not yeah, Gage. You're right. It might not work. It might not work. <laughs> He's, he is focused on what he was doing and that was just destroying another robot. That's all I care about. <laughs> I love that. All right. So uh, this is an interesting qu a question from uh, Sumi Shik. Um, if you could remake a Mechadon in the modern era, what would you do differently? What, what changes would you make? Um, something that people are going to see coming up at some point is Mark's Atrakian. And they should have seen some of these bots on, like, if you go to... Uh, Scorpius's website, you know, like I know that Zach and Diana did a bunch of recording of his his robot stalker. Uh, just so cool. The the motor control these days and the joint control and the the abilities, the the access to things like water jet and the level at 3D printing. You know, I, I don't think Mechadon would ever be in the shape it's it would be in. It would just be a full jointed walking robot whereas mechadon was 
like the mechanism des- defined the walk, whereas now Stalker walks and however it needs to walk with it, whatever way it needs to bend a joint. And so that's what you're going to see is much better motor and control over all joints. All right. So you've been in this, like in and around the sport this whole time. Uh, you are no longer a competitor. You have now been working as like a bot liaison, I guess, for the past few years for the show. You were an on, um, like an on-screen talent uh, in the last season. And now we wanted to talk to you about season seven. A couple of people said they missed seeing you on screen for episode one of BattleBots. So first things first, where is the Bot Whisperer this season? What's going on with you? So there's been a change. I am no longer as the Bot Whisperer on the broadcast version of the show. Uh, But we did shoot quite a few long-form interviews and technical discussions with me and the builders as the bot, me as the bot whisperer wearing the jacket, uh, that should make its way to YouTube. So one of the things that we definitely noticed that was being posted a lot is, okay, I really enjoy Pete's segments, but they're way too short, and that's never enough data. Yep. Like, I want to know more. So here's a great way to know more. And so we get to have a much longer discussion, very technical, not worrying about, like, if anybody's going to understand it, we're just going to dive in and talk about what makes robots tick. And that's that was great fun. So I can't I haven't seen any of them yet, but I'm looking forward to when they premiere. Uh, that's awesome. I did not know that was happening. And I uh, like to consider myself very well sourced. So that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited about that. And as usual, I was doing all of my other jobs that I've always done, which is behind of the course. scenes. And, and, you know, like. <laughs> managing all these bots and in certain ways and dealing with builders and things and conflict and smoothing over and also technical stuff for Chris and Kenny and sitting in the master control room and when fights are happening so that in case something really weird comes up and everybody goes, what the hell just happened, Peter? And they all look at me, you know, that I could say, here's what just went down, guys. Um, so everybody gets a better understanding of what's happening. And of course, when I learn any new secrets and knowledge from the builders that they tell me that I can give that to Chris and Kenny so that it can be worked in. Um, and then just just because I know that people are going to ask, can you elaborate on like why the decision was made that you wouldn't be an on-air talent for this season? There was some budgetary issues. Gotcha. Let's just leave it at that. Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. So let's jump into some very good questions from BattleBot superfan Alexander Archer. Um, why on earth that for the first time in BattleBots history did they decide to reveal the full fight night schedule for all 50 bots prior to the season premiere or during the season premiere, I should say? There's multiple reasons, but like this helps us become much more of a sport. Yeah. Because you would like the New York Giants know their full amount of football games they're going to go play, right? You know your schedule. Yep. Why is that a problem? Uh, it, it really also the guaranteeing of four fights to each robot. Uh, it, I think it helped. Yes. There was a certain level of panic and surprise that got removed, but I think that was much better to take that away because 
it would be Greg and Aaron Catlin and myself sitting in Aaron's trailer, figuring out, okay, which robots still work? Who can fight tomorrow? Who, what's this fight card going to be built on? We don't have to do any of that. We just say, all of these bots fight, all of these bots. Done. Move on. Yeah. Be ready or I don't. Like, it, that's on you now. <laughs> exactly. Yep. That was sort of a thing. And you know your time slot. So we don't have to worry about, and people are giving us, we can't wait till 2, 3 a.m. to hear who we're fighting and then aren't allowed back in the pits until 6 and after then start working on our bot when we've stressed all a few hours anyways, worrying about, oh, we've got to fight Tombstone. Right. Um, what are we going to do for our armor kind of thing? And now people just say, okay, I'm going to invest X amount of time for fight A, but I'm going to invest Y amount of time for fight B because, oh my God, that's Tombstone, right? Or something like that. Right. Yeah, I think it really... I got a lot of positive feedback from builders and I didn't get anybody giving me a negative thing saying, oh, this is bullshit. You know, no, they all were quite happy about it. Everybody likes solid deadlines and this gives you a very solid deadline with everything you need to know to prepare. Like, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. And not that this was happening. I mean, we've only really seen one disqualification based on time, but now there's no... No way anybody could say, oh, they played favorites. They gave them extra time. Everyone gets the same amount of time. You know when your fights are coming. Right. You know exactly what your schedule is. It's perfect. I mean, you might get pushed to later in the day of the filming. Like, sure. Okay. We, but if we're going to pass through the day, you're done. You're done. Like if we, because we have another schedule to shoot the next day. So we can't, you know, fit anybody in kind of thing. So. Yep. Yep. All right, so um, this is a kind of broad and general question, and obviously you can't elaborate on the entire season, but based on what we saw in the first episode, do you think these new rule changes and judge and uh, referee criteria are working? I think so. I think they made a huge difference. Yeah. It, it really smoothed some things out. There was, you know... Since there is no more like, is that crab walking? Is that whatever? Is that real movement? Your your job is to go engage. As yep. a bot fighter, you need to get in there and engage. However that is, whether if that's Minotaur missing a wheel and Jaiwo rocking over to get to his opponent, that's what's going to happen. Yep, riding on your own weapon over to the, uh, the opponent is perfectly fine too. Exactly. Yep. That's a totally acceptable form of motivation <laughs> to get you across the arena. Yeah. I, I think they really helped. Um I felt the builders seem to have given it a lot of positive response. No, I just think it was a, the, these changes and many of these changes were, there was quite a few zoom calls and discussions with a small amount of builders that then got disseminated to all of them. And they all sort of voted and talked about that. They were very inclusive within how these rules got rewritten. And right. It was a majority votes of this is what we're going to do. And they all, you know, there might have been a few dissenters, but most of them, the majority said, this is what we want. This is the rule we want. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Um, okay, so this is uh, a, a, a question you may or may not be able to answer. I know a lot of people are curious about it. You're uh, close to the heart of what goes on in BattleBots land, um, at least friendly with the folks at the top. So. 
how will folks who aren't able to attend the BattleBots Destructathon, the live event, be able to see it? Will there be some live streamed or filmed released onto YouTube later on kind of stuff with that? Or is it strictly going to be a live show? Like, you know, you can't see Penn and Teller <laughs> on the like on YouTube when they perform in Vegas. Is it going to be more like that? Or, or will there be some sort of recording of it? I'm assuming there'll probably be a recording of it, but I don't know. You know, it it would be think of it as a Cirque du Soleil. So they may have recorded one of the shows. But that doesn't mean they're not performing it every single day. Right. They, the live event is fairly similar to that. It is. It is. This will sound too disparaging. I was going to say it's medieval knights with robots, um, but it's it's better than that. Uh, you know, you go in and you see bots that were built specific for the show to be able to compete and fight. And whoever wins, wins. That's like whatever fight happens and it goes on and the winner, there isn't no pre-written thing, but it is a show that needs to be repeatable and it needs to be able to, you know, robots need to be repairable. And it isn't about how do we reach fans across the world? It is about how do we get people in Las Vegas to come see the show and introduce new people to the show? Absolutely. Butts in seats. That is the whole point. And yes, yes. Unlike uh, medieval times, which by the way, everybody loves med- medieval times. It's not disparaging to to compare the, 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 like anything to medieval times. It's a great product. People love that. It's all over the country now. Um, but like this is, there's no scripting. There's no, it is just the fights happen. Go and check it out. Right. Um, which I think it's awesome. I th- you know, we will have things like robot A fights robot D and robot C is going to fight robot F uh, kind of thing. But who's going to win that fight is whoever wins that fight. Like, however, when they get in there, they aren't, we aren't saying, oh, I need C to win this night and D to win the next night. That's not in the cards. Yep. Yep, and and learning more about the lineup of which bots are going to be uh, kind of involved in that and which names are going to be involved in that. What an interesting spackling of bots throughout the eras of the sport. I think that's going to be really cool. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things like having Nightmare or uh, Overkill with Christian Carlberg. Like, these things are iconic, very visual-based robots that people will remember. Yep. And that's part of this, too, is we want all of these bots to be so visually dynamic. Kraken, you can't mistake, right? It's Kraken. And we also want a a level of, like, brand name recognition to come through with it. Like, people will remember Hypershock and Witch Doctor. So they can then see the real show and go, yeah, I got to see versions of them at um Destructathon, but this there's Will Bales and there's Andrea and Mike driving right. the real robots now. Right. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, you're right. The it's the visually striking like see I think people are gonna get the biggest kick out of seeing like a version of Ginsu there. That's gonna be so much fun for a lot of people. Oh yeah, totally. That's I, oh, I love that. I love that. Kind of a good mix of nostalgia and modern era. I mean <laughs> A robot with saw blades for wheels. Like that, how brilliant of a night. Like there's Trey going, <laughs> I got an idea. 
I'm going to use these saw blades that we use to come out of the floor as our saws and weapons to be the wheels of a robot. Like, <laughs> All right, so Perfect. now that we have all of the fights announced, let's go back in time. Let's pretend like you haven't seen the season yet, like it hasn't already happened. Which matchups, when you saw that list, were you like, oh, that's going to be fun? Which ones were you like super pumped about? Um, God, I don't have the list in front of me. I'm sure me and you probably have a list in front of you. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I felt they were all fairly well done. I mean, it's funny because there was there a couple of times you would get a builder that would say, really? You had to give me everything that was a hard robot? And then you have to stop and go, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Have you looked at the field? There is no more easy robots. There are no cupcakes in this field. These are all right. bots that could win. Like they were all capable of winning. You know, and that's that was really impressive to know that hopefully what we would start to see with by playing it out is we might see more rock, paper, scissors going on and start to witness bots bubble up from uh, not just fighting the same style of robot all the time and being perfectly designed just to fight horizontals or just to that they were all going to have to deal with a different form of a robot they were going to have to fight. Yeah, and that is, I think, because of the the like what bots are working, who's available, who's ready to go kind of stuff that was happening before, you would have that weird thing happen where like Ribot didn't face a spinner all season. Like what? How? <laughs> How did that right. happen? Right. Um, and that wasn't we we worked very hard like it, and I'm sure people are going to see flaws in this version, but there was a lot of discussions over. OK, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Didn't they fight like uh, in an episode ago or did, didn't we haven't we done this before? And it was like, OK, you're right. We did do that three seasons ago. Let's make sure we don't repeat or I really want to see that happen again because it was amazing. Yep, those kind of yep. things. Absolutely. Um, so. Will there be any more compilation episodes like the nastiest knockouts? Um, or, or like, are we are we going to see more outrageous moments or anything like that? It was such a cool thing. There are I know, more bonus episodes. Yes, that's as much as I can tell you, that's awesome. That's all no, I'm going to say. I honestly like was skeptical about it. I was like, oh, okay, just you know, this seems like a quick, easy way to get content. Like, fine. Uh, it seemed a little like reality TV showy. And then watching it, I was like, oh, this is really great insight from these builders. And it was really cool to get um, their their kind of like technical expertise on it and their memories of it. I loved it. I thought that was a really, really cool thing. So I'm so glad that we're going to do more of that. That's awesome. Yeah, I felt the the inclusion of the builders in this season is really high. There is so much more interaction with the builders, not just what are you doing to prepare for this fight moments? But let's talk about what goes on um, during the fight kind of thing. And yep. I, I think that really made a difference. Yep, absolutely. All right, so we're going to move on to some rapid fire questions from Stephanie Spooner. Um, and this is more about kind of like your role in the show, your role in the BattleBots organization. Um, so she's got a bunch of questions kind of related to that. So do you get a say in who actually gets invited onto the show? Like, are you a part of the quote unquote selection committee that, uh, you know, that amorphous organization? Yes. 
I get I get pummeled with many emails and videos and photos of ideas of people saying, I want to, this is the concept I want to bring. That comes to me quite often. As, you know, as well as it hits Greg, as well as it hits Trey, as well as it hits, you know, Aaron Catling, we all get them. And then we have discussions over what do we like out of what's shown up. Sorry, yep. that wasn't rapid. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> nope. All good. All good. Um, is there a set of a number for rookie bots chosen each year? It seems like it's usually 10 of the 50 or 60 are rookies, but is there like a percentage you guys are going for? Uh, no, uh, you know, I mean, we do always want a certain level of rookies to show up. It, it really depends upon who's available, like what vets want to return, who's ready to return, who's stepping out and okay, shit, we need to fill this slot. What let's bring in the new bot, you know, and we definitely have a, we need at least three minimum of some brand new robots that we've never seen before. Please, right. Let's bring them. Yeah. It, the rookies this like last season and into this season, it's a whole different thing now. You know what I mean? Like these rookies are one shot KOing. These rookies are <laughs> coming out there with Omni wheel drives. And it's funny. We, we call them for air quotes, rookies. When nearly everyone on these teams have come from other teams, right? Like they all have one, three seasons of experience of, time behind other robots before they're like fielding their own bot or they formed a new team to bring a different robot out and try some other concepts. They are, they are far from rookies. Once in a while we have somebody that's never built something before and they just show up like, here's my brand new robot. You're like, Whoa, how did you do this without any, like never having done anything before? Oh, you know, I just sort of put some stuff together and did a thing and, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, but you do have like even the true because you know you're right. We have the um, the rookies in name only, or the the kind of builders who have been involved in BattleBot specifically for a while, but but are doing something new. Rookies, or even the rookies that are like offshoots of existing teams, and then you have like Riptide and Glitch who were just fought in the last episode, which it was like, oh, okay, those are like two rookie teams. Yes, they do have like one member that was on another BattleBots team at some point, but like the vast majority of the people there have never done this before. They're all um, building a heavyweight for the first time, competing on the show, show for the first time. And it's just like so impressive to see. Some of the rookies coming this season that I'm super pumped about are like kind of fall into that category, like Terror Tops. Where did they come from? They obviously like, built something that works and makes sense and like they're you know i went over we talked to them on this show about their design principles and you know how they're like we're going brushed because we don't want to do anything that's going to be hard we just want to like go in there with stuff that works and everybody knows it works and it's tried and it's true and we're going to like test it out this season so smart and like where did those guys come from well i mean that's that's funny is i know their dad and uh he huge fan of the show and he would bring them as younger kids to witness the show. And they were like, I've got to, we have to do this. And they, um, you know, Ben competed in, I think he did Vex and he's done a couple of other things. So he was, he was doing other robot stuff, but he paid attention to what pros have been doing and right. Okay. That's knowledge. I want to instill into my robot. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait to to see the his work and his stuff coming up. I think that's going to be great. 
Um, all right. So do you, this is more questions about you. Do you have any involvement in BattleBots Destructathon? And if so, what are they making you do for that thing? I only had some involvement in the beginning when we were, there was a big decision between does everything get built by one lead engineer and it all be built in house or we don't really have time. Can we farm out each build to each builder yeah. and see if we can get builders to do it? And my big involvement back then was guys, I know everybody has special robots and special ways they do this, but we're building robots that need to be repeatable and repairable. And yes, you can make one shell look like duck and one shell look like ghost raptor, but what might all be inside is everybody should have the same motor. Uh, everybody should have the same speed controller and everybody should have the same battery packs so that when we, when people are repairing, there's only one part spin to choose from, not 82 of them. Right. It's fine if the wheels vary or a few things that are cosmetic change, and that might change wheel speed and, you know, a few other elements. But I was really trying to get them to drive to some standards yeah. to try to sort of unify their design, you know, styles. And from that, it was it was Will who just took the bull by the horns and said, here's this motor gearbox combo I designed. And then Kraken said, I'm going to use that at season seven. Let me have one of those, or let me have four of those or eight of those. And uh, that was sort of the kind of, that was what we were trying to get to get going. And I've, since then, I have so much workload in my regular job that I had to completely step away from Destructathon. So I haven't really been involved much since then. Yeah. I'm sure I'll go see it at some point and see the premiere of it, but uh, I, I haven't been involved. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a whole other ball of wax there than what you do on the regular show for sure. And uh, and like I said, I have a day job that is yep. you know just as demanding right now. Yep, so. yep, tis the season. Um, all right. So, do you have? And I know you know that when you looked at this lineup, when you looked at this kind of final, you know, you walk into the pits on the first day. The fights haven't happened yet. Everybody's unloading their crates. You're looking around the room. Who do you think's going to win the nut? Do you have any early predictions? Did you walk in and go, oh, it's their year. They're going to do it this year. Um, I know there's people who you're like, maybe this will be their year every year, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, I know. Oh, poor- I know. I've said that about Sawblaze. You, Sawblaze, um, which doctor, about- you're just like, it's going to be your year this which year, doctor, guys. <laughs> which doctor's always one of those ones um, that I've always sort of like, They've, they've got this. They're so skilled right. and so experienced right. that there's no reason why they aren't winning. Um, you know, Minotaur is another one that you're like, what really? You, God, why haven't you, you gotten know, a nut yet? Guys, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's such a powerhouse, you know, it was picking my doing my picks when I sort of, when we were in the round of 32 and I built a bracket, I was completely wrong because, you know, it's robot <laughs> combat. It's complete chaos. Yep. And uh, and it was great. I was so glad to be completely wrong and to be proven wrong of what I thought would be the path and what ended up being the path it was awesome. So I'm going to leave it at that <laughs> so that nobody knows what I'm actually thinking. Yep. Won't tell who won. Uh, good. No, we don't want you to. 
Um, all right. So this is the kind of last question from Stephanie Spooner. Is there a, it was bite force, by you, the way. Oh. You you thought by <laughs> <laughs> But Paul shows up at the last day and he's like, I'm but it just wins the whole I'm thing. I'm here to yeah. claim my nut. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's got my name on it already, right? <laughs> yes. Thank you. I'll be leaving now. Um, all right. So is there a type of bot that we haven't seen on the show that you would like to see? Um, I don't know if there's sort of a type of bot. We kind of, we have spinners of multiple variations. We have grapplers with different ways of clamping and holding and flipping and suplexing. Um, we have flippers and flingers. And I mean, I love, you know, of course you guys know from last season, how much I was in love with blip because of te the technical marvel that that is. Uh, but I love, I love bots that are always at the disadvantage, namely any of the control bots, obviously. <laughs> like I love the extra fight that they have to put in to be able to get a win. Um, it's cause it's harder for them, but I don't think we, we've seen nearly all the sort of basic shapes and forms. I guess what we haven't seen in BattleBots is a good melty brain or more AI to a, a level of that. The bot is doing a lot more control than the human. I mean, chomp was doing some of that with targeting and firing the hammer, you know, on target, but we haven't really seen it propagate out yet. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to um, to get into more of that. That's something that um, the liftoff team is working on, too. There's a lot more AI infused into their melty brain, which I think is it's the way, especially when you're yeah. talking about something as, as chaotic as a melty brain. It is the way. And as fast moving as that thing is and trying to. You know, one of the things I remember uh, Kevin talking about with Claw Viper last year, he had said. Um, how did he put it? The bot is faster than I can think. And I'm just reacting. And melty brains, with especially with enough AI, could be doing some of that part for you of attacking or, you know, just how they get themselves back together and back into the attack where you're not trying to go, okay, wait, which is the front, which is the back half? How do I face my opponent again? Like I'm, I'm turned around and it just does handles that kind of stuff for you quickly and gets you back in the game. Yeah. That's going to be exciting to witness. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, quick, silly question from shredded or star child team member, Tony D'Ambrosio. He wants to know who is your favorite team and why is it Omega? <laughs> I I I do have to say I have a very soft spot in my heart for Omega. Ripperoni, like just they showed up and I fell in love with that bot. Like this season just blew me away with that robot. I love the I mean, first of all, the gimmick is is hysterical, right? The pizza box and the pizza itself. But what they're doing weapon-wise and the gyro to counter the forces of the spinning weapon really blew me away. Yeah. Like that was such an amazing innovation. And it was the same to me as seeing when Aaron showed up with Blip, right? Like the the marvel that that was. 
is that same kind of thing. Like, oh my God, this is really pushing the technical envelope. And I love it. And I, this will not be the first or the last time we will ever see a counteracting gyro to a big spinning disc now. Like more people are going to do this. Yeah, I think that um, I think that you know, especially having seen the the Ripperoni's like Ripperoni's work at NHRL and at Motorama, right. um, there is a lot of comparisons that were made on the show and then also online. You know, this is oh, it's uppercut but with pizza, and it's like guys, this is it is a it's, whole it's, different it's animal. A different thing. <laughs> yes, it's a very much different animal, and. You know, the the whole idea of the big wheel and the little wheel and the asymmetry of it, like it just there were so many elements to it that really just struck a chord with me. Yeah. And that was the bot that excited me the most. That's cool. Plus Anna rocks. Anna is amazing. You know, like she Yeah, great on her screen. Energy, too. Her energy, her her ability to speak to camera, she was amazing. So much fun to have an interview with. Yeah. Yeah, we um our interview with that team, she was phenomenal. And then um seeing her at the most recent NHRL and like just seeing the way she talks to her team, the way that she kind of like is a really natural and really charismatic leader with them too. She's yes. she's awesome. She's really cool. Um okay, that actually answers another one of our questions that's coming up. So um what is my favorite new bot no yeah like what uh, what's your favorite design this season or new bot design this season but um here's a really great question from christopher spears who in your opinion has gone back to the drawing board for the best this season like this is a like you know just on the metric on the the metrics you look at what they came back with based on what they had last year and you're like oh those are some great improvements that makes so much sense there is some pretty amazing stuff in Endgame, that were that's being done um, deep in the electronics. There's hopefully I, I believe I did a I did one interview with them and we did a nice deep dive and hopefully it gets captured because there's some phenomenal phenomenal discussion about how they sort of redid all their electronics and it it's stuff like that that's what makes Endgame such a force to be reckoned with and why it's such a competitive bot. Um, who else really... You know who actually... I, I, he had a really crappy season uh Long Beach um, a couple seasons ago, but huge. Huge was, you know, like it rolled out of the box, ready to go. It wasn't them like having to cut wheels the morning of their fight and putting this whole bot together there on the thing. No, they showed up with a, a really good working robot and it's fun to watch. Yeah. It looks I like the first thing I said when they released those production photos was, Oh, it looks beefy. Like it looks robust. It looks extremely well put together. There's obviously thought put into, oh, this is where we're going to put new armor packages because, you know, people can hit them now. There's all kinds of bots that can actually hit the body now. That wasn't something they didn't have to they didn't have to deal with before. Um, yes, I agree. Like just looking at the bot, it's just it's weird to say this about a robot, but it looks more athletic now. It looks yes. like it can take a yes. hit and dish it out so much better now. It's it's awesome. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I have to agree with that a thousand percent. 
All right, so I have one final question, and then I'm going to pass you off to my dear friend, Lindsay. Um, and this is one that I already know your answer to, but I want to get it on the record. Heather Stringfellow wants to know, do you think we're beginning to see the end of grappler bots to make way for an exclusive field of active weapons, mainly spinners? No, not if I have anything to do with it. Um, being on the selection committee, definitely there. And that we discuss this all the time. I mean, we actually have a, what is the percentage of spinners? What is the percentage of undercutters? What is the percentage of drum bots? What is the percentage of lifters? So that we know that we're still trying to, we need to not have as many verts or as many things. It will never be an all spinner thing. Like we don't, as long as people will build us a grappler or a lifter or flipper, we will put it in. And I will fight for that. Do you get like that deep into the nuance? Like, like, do you care about like, um, like, do you make that big of a distinction between like flippers versus grapplers and lifters? You know what I mean? I usually kind of put a lot of the, those to me are the fringe bots that are harder to, to get a chance to win. So I always want to make sure that they're in. Um, yeah. and I will fight for that. Well, we you always still see a flipper bot dominate some fights, make it into the top 32. You know what I mean? Flippers are, are Hydra. still, yeah. You know, Hydra is an amazing. Yeah. Blip, yeah. Hydra. I mean, before them, Bronco, you know, you always see, um, you, I mean, how many times have we seen like, uh, uh, Sub-Zero do phenomenal work? Like the, the flipper bots have had great runs throughout the years. I, that was kind of a comparable design, kind of like the, the alternate, if you want to do a lot of damage and be a cool bot and not be a spinner, do a flipper. Um, the grappler bots is where it's harder. Like, But at this point, and I don't know if it's because I'm just such a mega fan of the sport and I know how difficult it is, or maybe it's because I enjoy grappling in other combat sports, watching a bot suplex another bot, pick them up and slam them down behind them it like I jump out of my seat. I love, <laughs> I love that. Like those moments when they happen, I get like so excited. I go back to uh, overhaul versus chomp and Charles grabs chomp and just drags her around the arena and goes, Oh, do you want to taste these saws? And just dips her in and then picks her up, runs over to the other side of the arena, puts her in another set of saw blades. It was <laughs> It was so the ability to control another bot on that level always makes me happy. Like just makes me get, yeah. I mean, going back to the days of complete control with Derek, you know, like I loved watching that to be able to pick up a bot and take it off its feet. And therefore it has no ability to do anything. And then you have complete control over where you're going to take it and drop it. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Yeah. Um, uh... I, that's still like one of the classic like YouTube fights people go back to and watch all the time is complete control, uh, like lifting bombshell up and melting yes. the the like the, the wheels, wheels and rubber yeah. coating off of it. It's just a beautiful moment, absolutely. And I just get so excited for Craig Danby anytime that guy gets a su uh, suplex. You know, yes, like every here. time I just get so excited, I just absolutely love it. So I never want to see those bots go away. I don't either. And I push very hard to try to make sure we at least keep a few of them in. As long as people will build. I mean, if we've got, you know, the president of uh, Flippy Bot Nation, you know, with uh, with Charles, hopefully we'll just keep at least having one in there. 
But we've got Matt Vasquez, who nearly won a season without ever using his spinning weapon because he I know. was using the lifter the whole time. And I was he just knows how to control with that. I was actually genuinely surprised to see the spinner on the arm in a couple of the production shots from this year. I was like, wow, he went back. He went back in time to a simpler, simpler time when he was actually using a spinner. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. All right. Well, I'm going to pass you over to my friend, Lindsay. Lindsay. Hello. Pete. What do you got for me? My VIP tour guide buddy. We, that's the other part I need to come back to NHRL for. I had such a blast doing the tours with you guys. Like, and you know, it wasn't my environment. I've never been there before. And yet I just felt completely at home and it was so much fun to play <laughs> tour guide. So that was great. I want to come back and do you it. You were a star. <laughs> you were a star. All right. So let us do some kind of future future forecasting here and think about BattleBots 8. Um, Fallout builder Matt Lantry wants to know if you, you Pete, were to captain a new team for season eight, what kind of people would you want on the team? And have you considered entering a bot in a smaller weight class yourself? Did NHRL inspire you to get back into Beatles? <laughs> uh, to that second question, no. I'm not building robots anymore. I'm done. <laughs> I've done. I've done my bot building. I've I've moved on. Uh, judging from all the Lego you see behind me, that that sort of should tell you that I'm out of building of bots. Um, if I were to want a team, you know, I definitely want a varied team, and having a bunch of people with different skill sets to all do the tasks. I mean, one of the things I really enjoy watching is like Black Dragon. They come in and everybody has a task assigned to them. Somebody handles all the wedges and all the armor up front and somebody handles the flamethrower and somebody deals with motors. And every time they come back, everybody does their job. They just dive in and pull out their piece and run off and go take care of their part of the job. And I love the way that cohesion happens in the team. But I would love to have a Will Bales on my team. I would love if a Fred Moore. I'd also love Austin from uh, who built the motors for Ripperoni. Like he was brilliant. I would love an Aaron Hill, the mad scientist that is Aaron Hill. And I would love to have a level of just dry comedy that re-springs to the whole table. That is a dream team right there. Wouldn't that be fun? That'd be crazy. I I don't know if we could even get it to happen, but it would, <laughs> sure would be fun. I love the the like all of those big personalities, and then imagining uh, Reese there, like who I think is so funny. Um, he would but... ground everything. He just <laughs> brings it right back down, and that's what I love. Like he's. <laughs> Oh, he made me laugh so many times because he's he's just so deadpan. And best. his delivery is so good. Like his yes. timing, you know, I don't know if it's like natural comedic timing or if that's just his, you know, he's not even trying to be funny, but it's so good. It's so, so good. Um. All right. So we have, as you might imagine, you know, whenever we have you on the show, it also brings out some of the weird in people. They, um... 
to ask some strange questions. <laughs> no, never. So, uh, you know, some are weirder than others. Actually, the, this next one is not quite weird. I, I think it's actually pretty thought provoking. Um, it's from Horizon team member Alan Belkin, who wants to know, what do you think the next steps to growing the sport and the show are? Um, I think we're, what's great is I think the next steps are like in the process of happening. Having a permanent thing like the live show, the Destructathon in Vegas, will get more butts in seats and more eyes on robots and ignite interest. Having NHRL branch out across the United States would really assist in getting more people seeing more robot combat. And there isn't, for me, NHRL really brought it home of there isn't a difference between threes, twelves, thirties, and two fifties. Like they're they're equally as destructive and just as exciting to watch, whether you're watching in a smaller scale or a big scale. And so that level of excitement that can be brought from all of those different weight classes can really sort of grow the sort of the fan base is what we need is we just need more people to see the show. Especially because once people see it, they're immediately hooked, whether it's battle bots or NHRL or any, you know, any form of, of combat robots. It's like, you just have to see it and be introduced to it. And for, you know, the vast population who, who do it clicks immediately, you know? So it's just like, you've got to get it in front of people and and have them realize, oh, this is still going on. This isn't just something that, you know, I watched in the early 2000s or or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I I completely agree. Um, we have a, a actually a, another really good question um, from Nathaniel House, which doesn't so much have to do with combat robotics. But um, so you have maybe one of the cooler jobs that a person can have in, in the world. And I'm sure you have to, you know, approach it um in a in a unique way so nathaniel house wants to know how do you scope out your projects and scheduling tasks so they're done by the deadline this is something that i personally struggle with and i think pros know how to dole out their time cleverly for maximum production you know one of the things that still happens and it's almost inevitable is the build will take the amount of allotted time up. It's so rare that anybody ever finishes with extra time. <laughs> That's just not a, a thing anymore. Um, but uh, I mean, even pros, it, it is tough to be able to get everything done on time and have not have to do a couple of late nights near the end to sort of finish it out. One of those elements that's always there is the last 10% takes almost as much time as the first 90. Like it's just that last 10% is the hardest part of the build. And you need to account for that. It's always the most painful. <laughs> it can be the most painful for sure. Um, but you've got to account for that thought process of being that, okay, if we think we're going to be this far along at this point, it took us X months to get there. We better make sure that the next half of this, that is the last 
equals X months. You know, you need to put that kind of thought into the earlier stages of what did it take to make a thing? Something else that is really, I find extremely important, and it's what we, we do at the company I work at Applied Invention, is fail fast, fail early. It is totally okay to fail. Just dive out there, make a prototype. If it breaks, that's okay, because a lesson is learned from the break. And that's the most important part of the whole thing is accepting that failure is part of the creation process. To believe in some fashion that you can only have a perfect object from the get-go is wrong. You just won't ever get done. Uh, what, what did Adam Savage say in his book? Um, Perfection is the enemy of done. Right? So you've got to sort of get out there and start working. And, and it can be dirty. It's okay to, to make something very sloppy in the very beginning that you're going to learn from and then move forward to make the final product from. Wise words, Pete. Wise words. I like it. I'm an old man. <laughs> Learned a thing or two out there. Um, all right. So Chris Horry has a good hypothetical. In the spirit of the upcoming live show and a hypothetical BattleBots movie, and for some reason uh, you can't play yourself, <laughs> who would you like to see play the Bot Whisperer? Optional, Dreamcast the other prominent figures of the show. Who would? Well, Adam Savage should obviously play Greg Munson. I mean, that's, <laughs> they look enough alike. Uh, um, who would play me? Jeez. <laughs> I just heard my daughter from the, from the peanut gallery in the back. She said, Kevin Bacon. Uh, <laughs> back in the day, when I was much younger, I, Kevin Bacon and I looked a lot alike. But I my face has changed. His face has changed. We don't look anything alike anymore. But it's funny because I'm one degree away because I actually worked with Kevin Bacon on a film called Murder in the First a long, long time ago. Ooh, did you get to be like his stunt double because you, you look so much alike? No, 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 no. <laughs> I was puppeteering a hatching set of eggs, of bird eggs, and uh, puppeteering a seagull puppet that gets hit by, was supposed to be hit by a real hawk. Uh, Whoa! And when the, we'd done the first couple of shots with the hawk had its leash on its leg, and it went and hit the dummy, and then we put the puppet in that looks really good and was okay for the hawk to damage. And the director said, you got to take the leash off. I don't want that in the shot. And so the guy, the, the animal wrangler goes, you sure you want this? He goes, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. And so he takes the leash off and they're rolling and I'm puppeteering this uh, little puppet of a seagull and we're on Alcatraz Island at the time. And Alcatraz is, because it's no longer a prison, is a bird sanctuary in the middle of the San Francisco Bay. And so all of the birds on there were quite upset to have a red-tailed hawk in their presence. <laughs> so the hawk takes off and starts to head towards a seagull and then just does 
this barrel roll off to the side and just tears off, heading away from the Alcatraz Island back toward the Bryn Headlands with all of these other birds following it. And we never got the shot because the, <gasps> no. the bird just flew away. It said, I don't want to be here anymore. <gasps> that was, and Kevin Bacon was the key lead star on that film. He and um, uh, Gary Ullman. Gary Ullman was the warden of Alcatraz uh, for that. That's intense. It, w- it was very intense. Like Kevin had all this bruise and scar makeup because I came in with sort of the makeup team and we were like, they used one of the infirmaries, which was basically a cell, a giant, you know, it just had, had more space in it. And we put up blankets on the, on the bars to sort of make an enclosure. But that was the makeup room as well as that was where I set up the puppets. So I got to meet Kevin Bacon and my daughter, who was, I think one at the time or two, um, my wife had come out to sort of see me and she was touring around Alcatraz and I was, Gary was, they came back and they were sitting in the makeup area with me and Gary was getting his makeup on and I was talking to him and I said, Hey, I just saw, um, Sid and Nancy and I, I loved it. And then Cassidy started crying about something and he goes, Oh, she saw it too. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Then he proceeds to sing somewhere over the rainbow to her. And she just stops. What? I know. It was an amazing moment. Sorry. Brief interlude. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. No, we love uh, those stories. Strange tales of Peter's puppeteering days. Yes. (laughs) I love it. Um, All right. So NHRL statistician and overall uh, NHRL legend, I would say, Gil Hova wants to know. What bot would make the most fearsome D&D monster? Probably something like a Minotaur, you know what? A Minotaur or like a, probably a small drum because they're just so hard to attack and get a hold of. And they always just chew away. You know, the big giant ones, like let's say a tombstone. If you were a big paladin, you had a giant shield, you could kind of, absorb some of that damage and bounce it back but it's the it's the ones that keep getting you and you, you die by a thousand cuts you know i think the uh a, a drum would probably be some of the more deadly monsters that you just wouldn't expect but that's the one you can't defend against i like that answer it's not the obvious answer but i think it's a it's a very uh uh well-reasoned one thank you I try. <laughs> Um, all right, so we we still have qu- quite a few questions here. Um, so feel free to just, you know, we'll take them as they come. Uh, Sean Peterson, <laughs> who would win in a fight of wits between L3 from Solo and K2 from Rogue One? I'm going to go with K2. It was the deadpanness of K2. It was the, the matter-of-factness that just made K2 so brilliant yeah k2 i think is why does she get a gun (laughs) (laughs) k2 is one of definitely the more memorable parts of that movie um i I mean he for me is the best droid that's ever been done like i i just totally fell in love with k2 thought he just had the best personality also such a weird lanky 
strange shape and yeah. design of the robot, and I loved it. Um, all right, so um, first drink of the day and rookie of the year, uh, uh, Tom Farkas wants to know, when do you think we'll get to see Melty Brain accepted to BattleBots? I know we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but uh, think it could be season eight? It possibly could. I mean, it just depends upon... It really is about who could build a Melty Brain at that scale in the time frame. And make sure it works beforehand. So there's, I, I've moving up from the smaller weight classes to that giant size. There's so many other factors that come into play, and I wouldn't want, I, I don't want these builders to rush a melty brain out there. I want a melty brain to walk out there and just be what it is at NHRL right now. And that took a couple of years to get to that stage. So it may take them a little while to get up there. I don't know if we'll do it. If it depends upon, unless they feel they're confident enough that they can do it for season eight, that would be awesome. That'd be great. We're ready. Uh, But I, I just want to make sure that they're ready and that it isn't sort of a, Oh, we rushed and we didn't get it right. We didn't test enough or we didn't learn enough yet. So that's my main thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and like you said, you know, they've been going to NHRL consistently for, you know, two, three years now with the, you know, same approximate design, but just tuning it and honing it and, you know, making it better and better. So I imagine, you know, scaling it up to a 250 is harder with a melty brain than uh, with, yes. you know, any other type of bot necessarily. So, um I'm excited to see what they come up with. And the Casmer family, if anyone can do it, it's them, I think, because they just have. I, I believe so, too. I mean, they definitely had the drive and, you know, they've got the skills to be able to do it. Amen. They've got the experience. So, uh, All right. So uh, Jackpot Captain Jeff Waters has a, a an unusual one, unusual one for you, Pete. Um Pete being the bot whisperer implies there is a bot screamer. Who would you say that is? My, it's my evil twin. The one that has the goatee and the, you know, the mustache and the little beard. Like, you know, of course, (laughs) totally. I'm an evil twin. And that's probably the bot screamer or bot yeller. Not listening to anybody, doesn't care about what a robot is, just yells at every robot. That could be its own uh, one-hour special after an episode. Just evil Pete running around <laughs> paired screaming up there with at the, bots. The, that's right. It'd be paired with Night Rider <laughs> episodes. So, yes. <laughs> All right. Shatter team member Mary Comenti wants to know, Pete's puppetry past, say that three times fast, was on full display in the photo from NHRL. Any new puppeteering gigs in the works? Yes. Uh, I what? posted in the chat here two links, one which is the 10,000-year clock that I'm currently in the process of working heavily on and everybody in the shop is. Uh, but a side project I work on is a a filmmaker um, named Kevin Turk. He makes these wonderful little short-form puppet movies, and I've worked on three of them so far. They usually go to Kickstarter uh, to get... Um, basically to get a budget so we can go do it. And his website's called The Spirit Cabinet. 
um, at dot com. And he makes amazing puppet films and we're getting ready to release uh, the new Kickstarter, probably hopefully in the next month or so for the next film. And I've been working myself and Luke Conlian, who is chief bot inspector, uh, both work on these films for Kevin. Because they're puppets and we love it. I love making puppets. As you can tell by me playing around with two plastic little feet and multiple little hands on my fingers at, at HRL. <laughs> yeah. No. Things should move. Everything needs to move. I love making things move. <laughs> well, everyone go check out that link um, and maybe support the Kickstarter if you can, because I think we all want to see Pete do more puppetry. Yes. I want to do more puppetry. So yes, we need more people to see me do puppetry. <laughs> So thought-provoking question from Ryan Hunter, who runs Pit Control and NHRL. What would be the most interesting sport to combine with combat robotics? For example, Formula One combat would be radio-controlled combat cars like Wacky Racers. Oh, God, that would be so cool. Very much like what the Wachowskis kind of did with Speed Racer, but with RC cars. Oh, that would be fun. Watching... One of the things I think somebody in Facebook had posted this, and maybe this is going to be part of your question, is when do you think we'll see like a robotica kind of thing with the mazes? And this is the same kind of thing, like making combat robots, but different elements that become more important than a spinner might be your suspension or how fast your car can go or what kind of traction it has because the environment it's now in is completely different than what we've been used to so you have to make sacrifices for what your weaponry may be to be have better control of your vehicle god i'd love to see super fast like rc formula one cars that have little weapons on them as they take each other out as they do laps that would be so cool jeff waters i hope you're listening it's for you you hear that jeff <laughs> he'll go he already does so many other things with lots of rc cars as well as like the tamiya four-wheel drive uh racers that you just turn on and drop into the track um that i can imagine him diving into some great little rc cars with smaller weapons but on dirt track or you know a full road course that you have to still navigate and drive but you have to take out your opponent in the process. You know, Death Race 2000, a little bit of rollerball, all those mixed together. Sign me up. I, uh, <laughs> I would love to see that. <laughs> Maybe not to participate. I'm a little too scared. <laughs> but just to watch. Um, yes. All right. So uh, Triton team member and one of my favorite builders, Shea Waffles Johns, has two questions. Uh, first, she says, Pete... Is it exhausting being so awesome? How do you manage? Uh, it's just too much. Some days. Uh, I have to talk to my publicist and my manager and see. Let's, I just, I, I need Perrier brought to me <laughs> constantly. I need to be fanned. It's so much. Of course not. <laughs> yeah, your writer, your uh, writer for coming to NHRL was like 10, 12 pages long. It You're was. like, wow. But you guys did adhere to the fact that there was no brown M&Ms in my trailer. Thank you. <laughs> I would have we trashed try. the place. Oh, 
I love Shay. Uh, Shay is so much fun. She's such a like just beacon of energy. She's so excited to be doing what she's doing. And I love watching that and being around that. She uh she will be at the January competition for NHRL with a, a new bot of hers. So very excited to see what is on the line there. Um, but her second question kind of goes hand in hand um with, you know, who would your dream team be? Now, rather than, you know, what would your team be, what would your bot be? So she says, if you were to design and build a brand new bot to compete in any weight class, what would be your starting point? Satrakian locomotion to look more like puppeteering, Lego-inspired construction, any other tie-ins to your background that you think would be interesting to incorporate into a bot design? I definitely would love legs of some kind. Or go back to my old standard, which is treads. Uh, not that they're that effective, but uh, God, I love the way they look. Um, what would I... You know, I, I think I would probably pick a little of this and pick a little of that and look over and go, oh, I like those little ears on Hypershock to keep the weapon from hitting the ground. And, oh, I, I really like the wheels on Copperhead. And, oh, I really dig what so-and-so did with their electronics, you know, I definitely would pick and choose for sure. And since I've gotten to see inside all of these robots, I would be trying to get the best of the best of all the elements of what works well. Love it. All right. So now we have some related questions from Triton Captain Brad Hansted. Uh If you were to build one battle bot uh, in parentheses, Triton, out of Legos, <laughs> which BattleBot, uh, parentheses, Triton, would Triton. you build? <laughs> um, what would I, which BattleBot would I build in Lego? Well, I've already built Ronin, and I've already built the Snake, and I've already built Mechadon all in Lego before. Uh, what would I build? Um, oh, and I have built a Hypershock in Lego for... Will and Alex's wedding. That was their gift. I made little sort of brickhead versions of them and built a little Lego Hypershock. Uh, I think I would probably want to do out of Lego a blacksmith with lots of Lego fire coming out of its hammer. Ooh, fun, fun. I love that. No, no, um, I want to build Triton. Sorry, I forgot all the prompts. I want to build a Triton. That's what I'm supposed to say in this question. I'm supposed to build a Triton. Good answer, Pete. Good answer. You don't want to have Triton coming after you when you give the wrong no. answer. Right. <laughs> um, so speaking of, what should Triton's next seaworthy blade be themed on or called? Oh, well, you know what they could do is if they do the cutout right, they could basically make an old, like, Mark IV diving helmet as a big disc, right? If you sort of flatten a, what a helmet would look like, but do all the cutouts in the water jet to have the sort of the grill and the ports on the helmet, but maybe make the neck be the actual weighted section of the blade. I don't know. That's cool. I mean, that's such an iconic image. Um, I would love I know. to see that translated into a blade. That's so cool. Well, it'd be perfect for them. I mean, then Dustin's a diver, so like it makes sense. <laughs> it rates itself. <laughs> it does. 
Um, all right. So this is the last question from Brad. Um, and it's one that is, I would say, his perennial question, no matter who we have on. And I don't understand the context. Um, but so we're just going to roll with it. What do you think about Thanos? Uh, Thanos has been for quite a long time my favorite Marvel villain. Um, long before the movies. Back, I mean, I used to heavily read uh, all this, any comic that had Thanos in it. I loved the Infinity Gauntlet series and the whole process and the uh, Thanos's quest to lead up to that. So I love Thanos. I, I just love the fact that he was in love with death. And that was the whole point of why he was doing what he was doing was just to get her affection. <laughs> what a, what a, it's brilliant. Uh, also, I'm a big fan of Galactus. Nice. Nice. All right. So we are, we are almost at the end, Pete. You've been such a good sport. We have one final question from Horizon Team member and BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr, who writes, Pete. Pete, Pete, Pete. <laughs> uh, I feel like everyone is always asking you questions. So it's time for an Uno reverse. What burning questions do you have? Um, for a super fan like Mary, who, by the way, the whole Pete, Pete, Pete thing comes from the fact that as I would leave the control room run to the other side of the arena to go talk to bot builders about what they're planning on with the fight that's coming up, I would walk back past Mary sitting in the front row every day of every fight. And as I'd go by, she would chant, Pete, 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 Pete. And I'd always keep the step and the pace, just so you guys know where that comes from. Um, what, what makes somebody want to stay and be there, Mary, every single day to see every single fight. That is such dedication. Um, you're in the middle of Vegas. There's there's alcohol to be drunk and money to throw at uh, slot machines and things. When instead you're watching robot combat, why would you want to watch robot combat? I think I've answered my own question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. Uh... This whole conversation kind of answers that, but... Uh, yes, it's full of sarcasm. <laughs> well, Pete, oh my goodness, thank you so much for talking with us. Every time we talk with you, it's like just a, a little ray of sunshine. Um, you are wonderful and fantastic, and just thank you again so much for your time. We can't wait to see you at BattleBots or maybe NHL again soon. I love being on your show. I can't wait for this podcast to come out thank you guys so much for having me again it's so much fun to hang out with you thanks Pete. open invitation p anytime all right see ya after the break we'll return with this week's installment of robots around the world welcome back from the break Time for robots around the world. I never get to read these, Kyle. It's amazing. Like I, I, I you know, I write these every week, but uh, Lindsay gets to read them. Yeah, this is going to be fun. But, uh, okay, I guess, uh, I guess we'll jump in. All right. Uh, this week we are traveling to the courthouse where a startup called Do Not Pay plans to use a robotic lawyer later this year to fight a case for one of their clients. 
The startup says it plans to use the AI software ChatGPT to contest a speeding ticket next month. The company says specific types of court cases are so formulaic that artificial intelligence could successfully defend clients at scale, such as in the case of speeding tickets and parking tickets. Kyle, do you want an artificial intelligence lawyer uh, in your in your corner in court? Yes. Yes. When it comes <laughs> to speeding tickets and parking tickets, absolutely. I hope we get to the point where the state is using uh, some sort of chat GPT and then your law firm's using some sort of chat GPT. I hope that legal Zoom eventually gets a chat GPT function. Listen, it's the it's the year of AI. You know, everybody's saying that we're going into like uh, everything's going to be kind of AI infused. Everything's going to be um, AI optimized, and I'm fine with it. I think that's great. Hopefully, one day you get a speeding ticket, and literally 45 minutes later, the AIs have argued everything out, and now you either pay money or don't, and and that's fine. Wow, wow, that is a bleak future <laughs> indeed. All right. Just get a little notification on your no. smartphone. Oh yeah, your your AI. It's Dude, uh, it wasn't as smart as the other AI. You owe four hundred dollars. You should have paid for the premium yeah. AI. You should have paid for the better AI. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. But what is it now? What is it now? Now it's uh, you show up at court or forget to show yeah. up at court. You have to dress yeah. up or whatever and go to this place when you should be at work or picking up your kids from school or whatever. It's bleak now. Like, if we're going to be bleak, at least streamline the thing. Like, it makes more sense. Okay. All right. I can see that. Um, (laughs) Now, Kyle, have you used ChatGPT at all? Have have you had a chance to talk to this this thing? I have have not played with it. Um, I want to. I just have not found the time yet. Um, I think I'm... There's a couple of things that I'm I'm working on that I might want to start using it for, so mm. I need to start playing with that soon. But I I haven't done it yet. How about you? Have you played with it? Uh, yes, and I hate it. Um, so I'll uh, I I know that we don't talk about ourselves too much, like uh, personal facts about the uh, ourselves on this show. So I'm I'm going to uh you know reveal a personal fact about me. Um, so I've worked professionally as a writer for like yep. the past twenty years. All right, like. Right. Uh, Writing has been my bread and butter, right? I'm uh, paid fairly well, you know, as a writer. I, I work as like a, a marketing content writer uh, right now, but I've worked as a journalist, uh, you know, worked as a news producer, editor, that kind of thing in the past. And I always told myself, oh, there's no way that AI could ever do my job. You know, like they're, they're going to automate a ton of other jobs before they ever get to writing. And uh, ChatGPT came out and... Uh, I had coworkers at work, like in the engineering side of the business, uh, product side of the business, uh, start slacking me, just being like, oh, hey, lol, I could do your job now. Like, check this out. And like, they would just put in an article prompt and it would just spit out an 800, 900 word article that was factual, well-written, like well-structured. And I'm like, this thing would take me like four hours to do and ChatGPT can do it in like, 35 seconds um it's awful and terrible yep so yeah listen up i might be out of a job next week lawyers they're coming for you next okay all right who who's not gonna get automated like in the chat gpt world kyle all right yeah i know it's a tough i mean artists now are you know super upset about how ai is messing with their jobs yeah ai has been involved in music now for a little while and it's getting better all the time 
Um, yeah, no, even creative endeavors are starting to go the way of AI. It, it, there's uh, what's not going to be taken over by AI. I have no idea. Construction, maybe. Um, even then. No, no, they're going to be 3D printing houses, Kyle. It's going to be fantastic. Just going to have a big 3D printer get dragged over to your property. And uh, yeah, you need that new shed. Know, We're just going to have you build you a house and extrude yeah. it. Yeah, like four totally, hours. Totally. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, no, you're totally right. Eventually, uh, we're just going to have to get, what, a universal basic income for everybody. And um, you just get paid for niche things like writing an actual human written product uh, ad. No, ChatGPT can already do it better. All right. I'll tell you. I, I, I Then I went, I was in a panic when I played with ChatGPT for like four hours. I was like, oh, my God, yeah, it's better than I am. This is terrible. OK. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Bleak future for uh, for creatives like uh, like you and me, Kyle, you know. Um, <laughs> don't worry. By the time I'm 60, I'll be on UBI, you know, I don't know, trying to finger paint or something. Just trying to fill up my day because uh, I have no marketable skills anymore. OK. So <laughs> taken over by artificial intelligence, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're just gonna have to start moonlighting as a robot builder. I heard that's profitable. Call fights at NHRL. Yeah, there you all go. Right. AI can't do that for a while. All right, uh, it'll... give it five to ten years. They're gonna be doing a lot better job. Yeah, than we are. All yeah. right, I'll tell no, you. No, you're probably right. <laughs> all right, well, that's about it for us today. We want to thank Nicole for editing this week's episode, and we'll be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. See you then. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.